Father God, we love you. Father God, we praise you. We come together each week, uh, not out of obligation, uh, not because... uh, not because it's about getting brownie points or about earning salvation, but we come together every week because we want to just turn back and worship you. We just want to turn back and say thank you. We want to praise you. We want to raise high the name of Jesus because we know that everything we are and everything that we have and the salvation that we have obtained is nothing more than a gift received through the blood of the cross and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, today as we come together, may you be glorified, may you be honored. And Lord, may our joy be made full as we seek you. May our joy be made full as we pursue you, as we worship you, as we, as we uh, grow together in the faith, as we grow personally as a faith, as we, as we teach and, and we learn to obey what you have taught us. So God, we pray now that you will meet us here as we know you're already present. And God, we also pray that, Lord, for any, anybody connected um, to anybody in this room right now that is, is sick, that is hurting, that is lost and far away from faith, God, we pray that you will reach down to where they are, that you will intercede on our behalf, and that you will heal and you will comfort and you will lead back to you, that you will uh, show these people that our hearts break for who you are and how much you love them and how much you are all about them. So God, may we always be a place and a people uh, and a a church culture of, of, of loving and reaching those who are lost and those who are hurting and inviting and bringing those in to experience the love of our Savior. We give you all the praise and the glory and honor for your name and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, we've been, uh, as most of you would be aware, we're working through the book of Colossians, and uh, we've learned a lot through the book of Colossians as we really, Colossians has been an outstanding book for uh, maturing in our faith, maturing in Christ, and, and because it's such a great book of the Bible for, for whenever, for someone who is fairly new to the faith, maybe not brand spanking new to the faith, but fairly new to the faith in the sense that, that it's, it's laying a groundwork for what we believe. It's laying a groundwork for the supremacy and the priority and the centrality of who Jesus Christ is in everything. That all that we have, all that we know, for him, by him, and through him. Whatever you see and touch, whatever you experience, whoever you are, for by and through the name of Jesus Christ. So we've been talking a lot about who Christ is and what Christ has done. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to uh, the church in Colossae, he's writing a lot uh, in these first couple of chapters, a very clear teaching, a very explicit, very just laid out there teaching on who Jesus is is and and what he has done, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and say this is the most important thing in your life and the most important thing in as the foundation of your faith. And, And everything that you are must be in response to who Christ is. So he's, he's done a lot of that, but he's also done a lot of warnings, a lot of, okay, this is, this is what the, the lies that are coming your way, and this is how you need to embattle that. But, but in short, essentially, he has, he has made it clear to us that Christ has paid for your sin, 
You are reconciled to God and, and, and through Christ you have been given this pattern of growing spiritually and you've also been given this power to grow spiritually. That Jesus doesn't just save you and then say, okay, now, now here's what it looks like to obey me. You need to do all of these things and you'll be doing well, but good luck. Here you go. You can do it. No, he, he, he comes alongside of us and he lives within us as the Holy Spirit and gives us the power to do that. He gives us the tools to do that. He takes care of the growing. He gives us more faith. He gives you the power over temptation. He equips us with the tools uh, to, to get through the trial. So it's not just throw you out there and good luck, but it's I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm going to give you what you need to come through. I'm going to give you what you need to live a life of victory today and in the future where we'll get there. But Paul, as he writes this, just like any good teacher, just like any, really any coach in your life is, is never satisfied to simply give you a right teaching and go home. He's never satisfied to just say, here, here you go, here's some truth. Now, 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 that's what you need to know. All right, I did my job. He's not like a, like, like a baseball coach is gonna teach you how to swing the bat, but, 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 but he's gonna tell you how to do it and, and give you all, 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 all the, the whole process and, and, then, and then not really be a big deal to you whether or not you ever figure it out. You know, like this is how you swing a baseball bat, but yet, all right, there you go. Now you know I'm going home. No, no, Paul's not like that. See, Paul uh, wants you to learn to swing the bat. Paul wants you to get better at, at swinging the bat. He, he doesn't just want to teach you. He wants to see what he teaches you through the power of God change the way you live. And, and, and such is my hope for you. Such is the hope of any coach. Such is the hope of, of, of any pastor, any Bible teacher is, is not simply to teach you know, I don't just come and say, here's what the Bible says. Good luck. I don't care what happens. No, it, it's here's the truth. Now, I want to see God's truth influence your life. I want to see the gospel change who you are. I want to see the gospel give you victory in your life. I want to see the gospel of, of Jesus Christ it, it really just... Seep into every area of your life, every part of your being, every part of your mind, every part of your personality, so that everything that you are is influenced by the gospel's change in your heart. I want to see that for you. And I get it's what's really cool is some of you give me glimpses of that every now and again. And I love it. Some of it is is blatant, and you'll just say, Hey, check this out. But other times, it's, it's just seeing it. It's just living life with you. It's experiencing life with you as we become friends. It's getting to see that you are who you are and you're not who you were because of what God has done in your life. So it's, not, so it's nice and refreshing for me to see that change, to see that happen. And such is the same for Paul. It's not just here it is, good luck. It's here it is, now let's see this change your life. So, so a lot of teaching, a lot of warning, a lot of foundational. And then as we step into the second half of Colossians, and you're probably thinking, it's four, really? Four chapters? And we're only halfway through. So as we move into the second half of Colossians, we begin to now to, to, to see how letting Christ live within us is equal 
to allowing him to shape us morally and ethically in our behavior more and more into the image of Christ. To live what he teaches, to live in a manner that he expects us to if we're going to walk around and we're going to carry his name with us. What is your life to look like morally and ethically in your behavior if you're going to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Because your life needs to look uniquely different. There are things in the way we react in this world that need to look uniquely different because, because basically Paul's saying, okay, since we've established that Christ is Lord over all creation, now we need to crown him as Lord over all of our lives. So since Christ is the head of the body, his church, we need to nurture our connection with him. We need to nurture our connection with him. We need to stay in constant communication with him. So this is important because it's not just God saved my soul, so now I'm forgiven and I get heaven, but it's now God saved my soul. Christ saved me, so how's this going to change the way I live? So Jesus came to earth in in a physical body, in in a real human body, into the physical world, and through the cross, he won us salvation. So now in response to that, it is important that we know that how we live in our physical bodies is, it, it has been made a difference by that victory that we have through the cross. That how we live our lives is dependent on that. It's in response to that because a relationship with God is living a human life on earth while in union with Christ. Some things about our lives are going to look the same as a non-believer. But within all of that, you know, we still live in the physical world. There are still things that we do, things we have to have, work that we have to do. But as we do those things... Are you doing it in a way that is focused on Christ? Are you doing it in a way, am I doing it in a way that is allowing Christ to be in all of it, leading all of it? Because I promise you that is going to lead to peace and comfort and success because Christ wants to be in all of it. So we've got just a short passage today as we step into this area. Uh, The beginning of Colossians Uh, Chapter 3 is a lot about putting on the new self. And we're going to get, Paul gets into some very specific things. If you you read along or or read ahead or you have read ahead, he gets into some very specific things, some very in-your-face things for people. Uh, but but this, is, this is just laying it out there as the word of God. But for, for today, before we get ground level with some of this stuff, he starts off by giving us a little bit of 20,000 feet. It's like, all right, let's, let's, let's draw that. What does this look like for us on the, like the whole thing? What does this look like? So the first four verses of chapter 3, if you'll follow along, we'll pop them on the screen. But then if you want to keep them in front of you, uh, I highly recommend you bring your Bible or bring it up on your phone or, or, what, or if you brought a, something else. Um, just so you can be looking at it while I'm talking about it uh, is always helpful. And it's just good for you to learn how to navigate the Word of God. Even if you're navigating it digitally, you're still learning how to navigate the Word of God. So I, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, but here we are, uh, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, again, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to those who have been born again. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
seated at the right hand of God, power. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, I love that, that's one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. When Christ, who is your life. If you're a Christian, Christ is your life. Stop making him a side dish. Christ is your life. It can't get more blunt than that, right? I love it. When Christ, who is your life, then appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that what we set our minds to is what we become? If you think about your life, are there things that, that you notice that what you focus on is what you become? It's what you're going towards. It's what you're moving towards. It's, what, it's, what's, uh, it's what's controlling a lot of the outcomes in your life. Now, I'll give you a couple examples from, my, from myself. My, my wife, there's, there's a couple books back in the, in the toll crib, uh, called, uh, and I believe it's called Women Are Spaghetti and Men Are Waffles. Are you familiar with that? I mean, uh, the idea is a spaghetti, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly an overgeneralization. I don't think this is across the board, but it's an overgeneralization where, where women are spaghetti, where you can be thinking about all these things all the time and get everything done. It's just like, I'm a master at multitasking, you know, and, and the spaghetti just goes every which way, but we still get it done. I, I'm amazed whenever that works for people. But then waffles is, is the, the, the perfect little square Everything's in its compartment. Like you fill your waffle up with syrup and the syrup that goes into that square stays in that square until you tilt the waffle and dump it out or you consume it, right? So, so the waffle means that when I'm doing something, I'm thinking about something that is all I can do and all I can think about. My wife tells me, my wife is quick to throw me under the bus, which makes our marriage great. So we can throw each other back and forth under the bus. My wife tells me that I am the perfect example of a waffle. That I, 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 get, I get stuck in my waffle square and I'm waffling around in that waffle square and I can't get out of that waffle square until I master whatever it is I'm thinking about. So I get, I mean, I, she, she told me last night, she said, I said, I, said, I don't know which, which, which example I want to give. And she, she said, you've got a lot to pick from. I mean, so I, I did this a, a few years ago with honeybees. I got big into beekeeping, and, and I'm, my dad and I still have, have the honeybees, but, but I, I would read about it on the internet. I would get books. I would listen to beekeeping podcasts. It's just constant, and I can't think about anything else until I, I'm doing it, and I have it figured out enough that I can do it well enough for me and get some honey. I'm not a master, but I figured it out well enough for me to get some honey. And, we, and my wife and I would ride in the car, and, and, we'd, and, and, and we'd have to have, like, quiet time where it's like, okay, we're done talking about bees. It, it's time to either drive in silence or talk about something else. Because I get stuck on these things, and, and I was so focused on it until I became that thing. I did the same thing with running. I did the same thing with uh, with, with, I do it with financial podcasts where I can't think about anything else and I just focus on that every spare minute of my life. 
But what happens is it worked out because I became a beekeeper. And with the running, I focused on it so much. I set my mind on it so hard. It's like, okay, if I'm going to be a runner, then real runners run marathons. So this is my goal. So, so, I, so I set that goal and accomplished that goal. And then my wife said, I quickly moved to the other square and all that was for nothing. It's all gone. I fight for it. But I'm mastering it. I'm becoming that thing. So the financial pocket is, hey, so we're good with our money because I can't stop thinking about how to be better with our money. You know, and so it's what you're setting your mind to is what you become. And those are all positive examples in my life. Sometimes it can be negative things that happen, but, but it, it makes us who we are. I mean, I'll give you some bigger examples. Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was, when he was a kid, he was dismissed at one point from school for lack of interest. But he persisted and he set his mind and he focused. And, and, and we all know the name Albert Einstein today. Another example, stick with the baseball theme for you. Lou Gehrig, I, I, I read, was, he was an awkward rookie. And, and, and Ty Cobb looked at him and said, look at those piano legs. He'll never last in baseball. He'll never last in the majors. But even through those apparent shortcomings, Lou Gehrig became the Iron Man of baseball. He set his mind to it and he focused on it. Some of you will know the name D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a... Uh, probably one of, if not the most famous, uh, very successful uh, pastor evangelist uh, in Chicago of the uh, 19th century. Did you know that it, when he was a kid, he has, had a Sunday school teacher look at him and say, you're never going to amount to much? But he persisted. He focused. He set his mind on what he wanted to become. And by God's help, that's what he became. He persisted in the faith and he persisted in his pursuit. So what we set our minds on, positive or negative, is such an influence on who we become. Such an influence on our future selves. So we're told in this passage to seek the things that are above. To set our minds on things upward. So let's look at what it, what it means to seek the things that are above. So seeking heavenly things begins on our knees. Seeking heavenly things begins humbly in front, uh, uh, bowing before your Savior. Matthew 7, 7 says that, it teaches us that through prayer, as we ask and seek and knock on the gates of heaven, we're seeking more and more and more God. It's a great way to start. It's a great place to start. Say, I am going to seek God. I am going to set my mind on things above, not just on the physical things that I can see and touch. So this becomes by simply, today I seek you in prayer first. Today I seek you in your word. Today I seek you in every area of my life. Today I seek you in every step that I take, in every thought that I have. If it is not of you, then it is not necessary for me. If, you're not, if it's not laced with you, then it is not for me. This type of seeking, first seeking the Lord in prayer, 
as God responds, you seek me, you will find me. This type of seeking leads us to, and it, and it really saturates all of our conversations. It saturates our friendships, our studies, our work, even our play, everything that we do. Whenever we seek first the kingdom of God, we seek first heaven, it begins to saturate who we are to the point that everything we do is laced with the, the, the purpose of Christ, and it enhances our relationship with the Lord. Because we're, we're, we're prioritizing that and we're letting heaven fill our thoughts so we're focused on the eternal rather than on the temporal. Even within the temporal. Even within what we can see and touch and feel. Within that, we're still seeking heaven first. But it's a challenging out there, isn't it? It's challenging to live in the physical world and keep our focus on the things of heaven. Because, you know, we've all heard about those people or maybe met those people that focus so much on eternity that their lives are falling apart. That could be a little bit over the top, right? Because, but I mean, I'll get, but, 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 but then on the other side of that, we have these people that focus so much on the stuff, so much on their physical life, so much on their feelings and their accomplishments that they spend their entire life ignoring the things of heaven to the point that they think the stuff, that they think the accomplishments are their life. That you can put your whole life inside of a storage unit. I heard a story about a man named, named Jack Benny who was a big penny pincher. He saved everything. It's like his, his family's living on, on like rice and beans because he's saving constantly. And Jack Benny was walking down the street one time and a robber came up to him and, and, and held a gun to him and said, your money or your life? And after this long pause of silence, the robber said, come on, come on, make a decision. And Jack Benny replied, don't rush me, I'm thinking about it. My money or my life? So many people in life today think that our stuff and our things are our life. That what we can earn, what we can gain, what we can accumulate is all that we are. Because the, but the truth is we're born, if you, I've used this illustration before, when, you, when a baby is born, they come out into this world reaching and grabbing. You ever notice that? Reaching and grabbing for everything. And we spend our whole lives reaching and obtaining and, and, and accumulating stuff. But then when a person passes away and the only thing they take th with them is their soul, their hands lay open. The reaching and grabbing is gone and everything that they have grabbed, everything they've obtained is left here. You can't take any of it with you. But so many people today, and this is a challenge. I ain't saying this is easy. So many people today wrap up their identity in their stuff or in their, in their jobs as proof of success. So they think that things are their lives. And Paul wants us to, as we keep our focus on the things of heaven, he wants us to know that we are not to set our minds to earthly things. Not that earthly things are, are innately bad, but we're not to, to, to focus on this. This is material, so like cars and 
cars and clothes and cabins and it's immaterial, like, Im, like honors and positions and advancements and, and, and career pedigree. And to focus on these things to the point that we're setting our mind just on the things that are here that we can physically touch. But he doesn't want us to withdraw from the world. No, scripture is clear on that too. We have to live in this world. Remember, scripture says, I'm to live in the world, but not be of the world. See, the difference with a Christian is they no longer see those physical things or those immaterial things as all that matters. It's not everything that matters. It's not everything that I need. My house might look the same as my neighbor's. I might have the same stuff as my neighbor's, but it's but, but as a Christian, my mindset is different because my mind and my purpose and my priority is, is focused on the things above. My, my mind is, is dedicated, it is not, if not dominated, by heavenly things, not earthly things. Because I know as a Christian that my non-Christian neighbors might not know that what is here and what you've got is staying here. But what lives on, the only thing we take with us is our soul. So why not be focused on all of those things? So we're constantly concentrating and concentrating on concentrating and staying the course and finishing the race. Because it's not who dies with the most toys wins. It's where's your heart with the Lord? But we got to concentrate. But this world is going to throw us curveballs, isn't it? That stuff's all, I love stuff. Stuff is shiny. Stuff's exciting. I love getting new stuff. But we gotta, we gotta concentrate because, because the devil is wise and the world is full of temptations. When I, when I was a kid, we, uh, up through second grade, so I was right around seven years old, I think, uh, we lived in a little town called, a little village called Frogtown. Anybody familiar with Frogtown? Yes, we got some Frogtown guys here. Frogtown is a little village between New Bethlehem and Clarion, right on Route 66. Miller's Equipment is there. There's a John Deere dealer there. Some of you have probably been there for that. Um, but we grew up there until uh, I was seven years old. And uh, while we were living there at one point, so my older, my older uh, brother was in, in uh, like minor leagues, almost little leagues. He's learning to play baseball. And, and, and my dad's out in the backyard catching for him. I mean, you, you catch... You got to concentrate, right? You got to keep your eye on that ball because, because one, you want to follow that ball right into your glove. And two, you're, you're helping a, a little kid learn how to throw a baseball straight. And you know you're, you're, you're going to have to move your glove, right? Like, you, you, you know, you, you got you to be ready on your toes because you might even be jumping, you know? But my dad's down on his knees and my brother, whip, he, he, he pulls back for his fastball. And, and the very second that my brother releases that ball, my mom steps out of the back door and says, hey, Rod. That's what happens, right? Just out of habit. Broken nose, busted nose, blood everywhere. This is like probably the first strike my brother threw all day. <laughs> right there on my dad's nose. But my point is, concentration matters. And we have the power of determining what our minds are set on. And we can determine that, and that will determine the direction of our Christian lives. I choose heaven. What do you choose? I choose eternity. What do you choose? I choose the kingdom 
of God. What do you choose? Because if we can set our minds on something, and we can, then we can decide to set our minds on heaven. I can set my mind on, on vacation. I can focus on vacation. I can focus on purchasing something. I can focus on finishing a project. If I can do that, then I can also set my minds on the things of the Lord. Because I, and, and that begins by, by simply saying, Lord, I set my mind on the things above. Lord, I, I am choosing today that even though I'm living this life and there are things I have to do in and, am, in and amongst that, you are my focus. You are my priority. And Jesus said in John 15, 7, said, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. Seek first the kingdom of God. But setting your mind, setting my mind is a deliberate act of the will. And it's helpful to memorize scripture. It's helpful to start your day on your knees. It's helpful to, to just seek it, pray in, in your cars. But it's a choice that we make to concentrate and focus. So Paul's reasoning behind all of this for teaching us to set our minds on the things of heaven is based on our past and it's based on our future for all true believers. It's based on the past and the future of the believers. I'll show you why. We just read four verses, but it, it kind of it throws it and then it concludes it for you as we look at these, these last two verses. Verse three and four says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For when Christ, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul wants us to set our minds on the things of heaven because of our past. The first beginning of that verse three says, for you died to this life. Now, I love how blunt that is. Do you love how blunt that is? For you died to this life. This, this literally means that, that as a believer, we should have as little desire for improper worldly pleasures as a dead person would have. That's blunt. You should have as little a desire for improper worldly pleasures, greed, lust, all the things that are coming down the pike here in Colossians 3. You should have such a desire for those that a dead person would have. Because as a believer, when it says you died to this life, it says your old you is dead. The old you is gone. The new you has come up out of the baptism waters. The new you has stepped up off of the altar from the day of repentance. The old you has got up out of your seat from the day of repentance. Stood up from the coffee shop, from the conversation and the prayer of repentance. You've stood up and you, are, you, you have died to this life. It's gone. It's gone. So, so now your life is hidden with Christ, which means it's concealed and it's safe. And it's a fact right now that because you confessed your sins, because you've repented, you have died to your old life. Your old sin is dead. Your sin is gone. You are set free and your salvation is sure. And you can live each day for Christ. Now that's worth praising the Lord for. So we have the power through Christ to live now and we have hope for the future of heaven. Our past is dead, is gone. God has forgotten it because he set you free. So our past is gone, but now 
We have hope for a future. That's the, way it all, that's the way it all wraps up. We have hope for a future in heaven. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. The Christian's real home, this is one reason why this is so important, to set your mind on the things of heaven. Because all of this, this isn't your real home. It's temporary. It's where we're at today. It's where we're born. It's where we live. And we have this little span of time to choose to follow Jesus so that the rest of eternity, we can spend it with him in heaven. That's joyful. But we have this hope of glory and that's where our real home is because John 14, two through three says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, have, that I go to prepare a place for you? And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. That's pretty cool. That as you set your mind on heaven, maybe you could set your mind on, there's this magnificent room that God is, that God is preparing for me because he's so excited for me to come home. He's so excited for me to step into glory. So focus on, on that and, and live your life in, in, in a way that, that even though we live in the physical world, we, have to, we live in a way that say, ultimately, I'm living for eternity. Ultimately, I'm living for, for the rewards that will come for me in eternity as I, as, I, as I live for God here. And it's not a bad thing to live for eternal rewards. That's not evil. That's not wrong. That's not self-serving. Those rewards come while you serve God in this life. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to, to show others who he is. He wants us to, 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 to humble ourselves and serve the poor, orphans, widows. He wants us to do those things. So it's not wrong to do those things knowing that there are rewards in heaven, knowing that there's a room, that there's a place waiting for you, that God is preparing for you because he loves you so much. But we live with the hope of glory. We are a people of hope. Not just victory today, but victory in heaven. Paul himself, in one of his other writings, he, he, he says that if, if Christians only have hope for this life, you remember that? If we only have victory today, then, then we are to be the most pitied people in the whole world. But we don't just have victory today. We don't just have hope for today. We have glory. We have eternity in heaven. You're probably aware of this, but I'll just end with this and share this with you. We have hope of glory. Did you know there are two ways out of this life? You probably usually hear that there's one way out of this life, right? But there's two ways out of this life. And what's great is that for the believer, either one of these is a going home celebration. Either one of those is, 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 is a joy-filled experience. And the two ways out of this life, number one is death, which is a going home celebration for the believer. And number two is the return of Christ, which is a going home celebration for all believers. That's exciting. That's exciting to know that no matter what happens as we live our lives and we act in our everyday life as the Lord teaches, we are prepared for either one. That whether, whether I pass away today I, or, or, or the sky rips open and we all go home, we have the hope of glory.
And that is worth setting your mind on, isn't it? That is worth seeking every day and asking God as you acknowledge him in all that you do, asking him to guide you in your life, asking him to be, to saturate everything that you do, that it is for him, by him, and through him. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to pray with me as the worship team comes. We're going to sing one more song and then send you out into the uh, slightly warm weather. Father God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you so much for the hope of heaven. I thank you so much to know that as we seek you, we can seek you today and for the future and know that that's the eternity that counts. That's the future that matters. So God, I do pray that, that, that each person here will seek you in every area of their life, that nothing they do will be just of them, but that it will also be uh, laced with your truth. And Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit do the work of convicting and showing each of us what areas of our lives need to be handed over to you. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.